You're listening to The Dice Men Cometh, broadcast live to air on Edge Radio 99.3 FM and proudly sponsored by LFG Australia. The Dice Men Cometh! Well, as we speak, it looks like the, uh, the red player is poised to move those massed forces from, I'm not sure if it's Ural, Afghanistan, or the Middle East, probably the Urals, into that very large place called the Ukraine, which all, we all know if you've played Risk, basically from there, you just roll right over Western Europe and uh, you take all those little blue states. Yeah, good thing. Good thing we're just talking board games. Yeah, right? that's right. We are here at the Dice Men Cometh again every second Thursday on Edge Radio ninety nine point three FM, and also later on, not too much later, hopefully in our podcast. But I am Mark. I'm Garth. I am Leon. And you've got three Dice Men in the studio tonight. We're so excited to be here, Garth. Yes. What are we talking about? tonight well what aren't we talking about we are definitely not talking about ukraine that's for sure Mark. No. but it is episode 324 and it is february the 17th so just mark that in your calendars look tonight we are going a bit of a continuation on our previous episode where we were talking about dune imperium this sort of game where you were having a bit of conflict you were trying to go up various i don't know they're called research tracks, but let's say research tracks. It's more about alliances there. But we're going to compare Dune Imperium to a game we mentioned and teased at the end of that last mm-hmm. episode, which which is Lost Ruins of Arnak. Now, Leon has very kindly decided to join us this, this episode. So welcome, Leon. Lovely to have you back. Yes, I thought I'd turn up for a change because, you know, I didn't have to work and somebody has to put you lads in line. So to... Um, <laughs> To, to make everybody else out there listening who uh, didn't hear my dulcet tones last week, just to be sure, uh, Dune Imperium is indeed a good game. Don't listen to the old hairy man. <laughs> oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Look, before we go too far, <coughs> we never said it's a bad game. No. We just said it's not the number 16th 16, yeah. best game of all time. That I will agree with, but either way, you were just a bunch of negative Nellies without me in the <laughs> studio. Just well, all, all all soppy and old and curmudgeonly and whatnot. Uh, well, and now you're still that, but I'm here as well. Well, we're not here just to make everyone feel all good and make sure that every board game is a winner, because they're not. But as well as Lost Ruins of Arnak, we will talk about a, another bit of hotness that's been going on the internets lately. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a little app, a little program, a little a little thing that is actually the first viral sensation of 2022, which is Wordle. A viral game, in yeah, fact. Yeah, and we need to be on that. So after we have a song, we'll come back, we'll talk about Lost Ruins of Arnak. But before that, you with the Dice Men. Come with on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. <laughs> Oh, I love this song. Excuse me, uh, everyone. Just wanted to pop in and say uh, hello. It's Mark here. And welcome all the new listeners. What I'd love for you all to do, if you haven't done it before, is jump onto iTunes and leave us a review. Five stars would be awesome. But whatever you think we're worth, it makes a big difference to helping us uh, get the podcast out to all the people there who don't know about it already. Of course, we'd love you to support us on Patreon as well and to share the love on all your social media feeds. But if you could do the iTunes review for us, that would be absolutely amazing. Anyway, back to the track. Well, there you go. That was the presidents of the United States of America with Kitty. They might have something to say about the Ukraine. No, they definitely wouldn't. Okay, so, Leon, are you ready to take us on an adventure? I reckon I could probably do that. Well, now is your time to shine. Okay, should I do it earnestly like we used to, or just like a normal human? <laughs> well, I don't think being a normal human has worked for you so far, but okay. you're welcome to give it a go. No, I don't think I will. <laughs> be, be as earnest as you like. No, I, I, try, I will be earnest uh, at Halloween. That was my favourite one out of all of those. <laughs> Not many people's, but it was mine. Anyway, showing my age there... Um, 
On an uninhabited island in uncharted seas, explorers have found traces of a lost great civilization. Now you will lead an expedition of eclectic adventurers to explore the island, find lost artifacts and face fearsome guardians, all in a quest to learn the island's secrets. And not to colonise it. <laughs> no, definitely not. Yes. Or to steal... The fortunes from civilizations who Oops. might want them back. One that day. still actually happen to be there. Yeah. Yes, that is something we're going to talk about a little bit later okay. in this. <laughs> um, but yes, so Arnak or the Lost Ruins of Arnak for the full title is a deck building slash worker placement slash resource management slash discovery game designed by Min and Elwyn, a married couple from Chex Game Editions. This is their first game, and I believe they have knocked it out of the park. If you ask most people, is that most people us? You're about to find out as well. It is between a one to four players. Apparently, that's a thing now. People mm. play this by themselves. What? Good, hang on, good for hang you. on. People game play games by themselves? Yes, but anyway, but we won't be discussing that because we don't. <laughs> anyway, the playtime, uh, according to BGG, and I didn't have a chance to check the box when I got home from work today, is between... 30 minutes and two hours <laughs> because because it's one of those games where they say it's 30 minutes per player. So in that case, which is kind of correct, give or take, I suppose. No, it's not correct. But anyway. Yeah, either way. Give or take 30 minutes per player. Yeah, possibly. Well, we do like to chit-chat about. And we hadn't seen each other for a while, so that kind of makes sense. There is that. Now, normally when we go through these games, we each have a little printed out sheet that we've meticulously researched and whatever else. But I'm doing this a different way because this is my second show back after a year off. So I might as well you know, jump into something brand new because that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? <laughs> So I'm going to discuss this game by going through the rule book. Why am I doing that, I hear you ask? Well, I'm going to tell you. Because this rule book that I happened to read over the last few days uh, at my work during my break, I promise <laughs> it was during my break, this rule book I have in front of me, I believe, is a shining example that is possibly the best board game rule book that I have ever read. Oh my goodness. Now, so hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Can I, can I play that back? Yes, you can, if you like. Uh, it is the best board game rulebook I have ever read. However, keep you, it... you only learnt to read a little while ago. Well, <laughs> there is that. And also keep in mind, thanks to the genius that is Mr. Rodney Smith, I haven't actually read that many rulebooks <laughs> over the last decade or so. But I can tell you for a fact that I did read cover to cover every word uh, the Batman Gotham City Chronicles <laughs> board game rulebook, which is an absolute atrocity of all humanity. And thank God a new edition of that is coming to Kickstarter sometime well, soon. It is, I have to point out, it is Czech game editions. And I do remember back in the days of things like Galaxy Trucker. Dungeon Lords. Dungeon Lords. What was that co-op-y, spacey game? Space yeah. Alert. Yep. Those rule books were very, very well written in terms of interspersing a bit of theme, bit of introductions, lovely graphics, breaking things up, having panels down the side which had little examples and things like that. And but also some of those ones in particular, quite an amusing read. Well, that was that's exactly what I was going to say. It was almost taking the the learner on a journey. It was, mm. it was basically telling them a story yeah. and the story was how you learnt to play the game, which yeah. I think is a really effective way. Uh, and again, you know, on rule books, something like the coin games, yeah. where they are so rules heavy, yeah. but the rule book is basically, let's start by teaching you these very, very basic actions and you'll do those a couple of times and then you'll learn the next thing that's a bit more yeah. complicated and so on and so on and so on. And then we're going to give you this tutorial which will take you and a couple of mates a good couple of hours to play where you're just doing what we tell you yeah, and then we'll let you loose and play the game, which is, it's not for the faint of heart, but in terms of knowing how to learn a game mechanically, it's a really effective tool. So we talked about how good were CG rule books when they did all that. Now, clearly, they decided that model sucks because they've thrown that completely out the window and gone to, here's a book that you basically read from start to finish. We're not going to dress it up except... They have dressed it up, Leon. They certainly have, because as you just guys said about telling kind of a story as you're going through, this does have a bit of flavour text in here as well, so it's not telling you a story by the actual rules of stuff, but it, there is story aspects that go throughout the book. So anyway, I open the cover of this lovely rule book. First page, components, tells you everything that should be in the box. Excellent. 
That's great. You can check if you've lost anything or yep. if you bought it secondhand. And it's all colourful, all easily titled. The next page has a lovely bit of artwork on there and it also has some lovely flavour text. And then down in the corner, a little QR code to a tutorial video on how the game is to be played. Uh, Perfect. Spot on. Codes. Then the next page is a big, giant double spread that shows you the setup of the game and how it looks exactly how you should set it up the first time you play it. This, I think, is probably the golden cardinal, cardinal rule of any board game uh, rulebook. If this doesn't, ha if your rulebook doesn't have a big, colourful picture of how the first game should look on the table, that rulebook's garbage. Yeah. No matter how good the rest of it is, you've done wrong. So it goes through all the different things, tells you what all the different stacks are and whatnot, and how to set them up. But what is all this kind of stuff? Well, we'll move on to the next bit, Mark. I can hear you. Just calm down. <laughs> so the next bit, the next bit shows you how to do the player setup, how to set up your own individual player board, because this game has own individual player boards, which is nice, mm. and to set up your opening starting deck, because as I said, this game is a little bit of a deck builder, not heaps, a but a, yeah. a little bit of a deck builder. I think we've kind of been spoiled over the years because when we think deck builder, we think of things like your legendaries, your dominions, and stuff like that, which is they're pure, they're a deck builder and yeah. pretty much nearly nothing else. This has deck building mechanics in it, same as all those other mechanics. Then we have the gameplay, and it tells you the goal of the game, what you're actually trying to achieve. And in this game, you are going after points, but they're not necessarily victory points. They could be exploration points. They could be anything that comes up in your imagination. Because they don't actually say the word victory points, because victory points are for, for boring old folk. <laughs> and we don't have any of them around here, do we, you, you happen and hip youth people? No, we're, hey. we're, we're with it. Yes. We're on a youth radio station. We are. Exactly. That is very true. So after it tells you uh, the goal of the game, it gives you a quick overview on roughly how a turn of the game is going to work very briefly, which is nice. And then it tells you about the resources in the game, because this is also a resource management style game. Mm. And it gives you a little text to them. So there's coins in this game. The coins, you wouldn't believe it, are used for buying things. We'll get to that a bit later. There's compasses, which represent time and energy spent exploring the island. There's tablets, which represent ancient texts that you've found or researched before you've come to the island. There are arrowheads, which can represent uh, weapons that you've discovered or possibly ways to overcome different obstacles on the island. And then there are jewels, which represent shiny jewels. Nice. Yeah. We and like then... Jewel, jewels are good, as are arrowheads, but oh, they're not so common. And then, your turn. So this will break down how your turn works, which is the thing you want to know about. You, you do. don't care how everybody else's turn works. You want to know about how your turn works. And you wouldn't believe it, like most games, you get to do several things on your turn, which is rather nice. So one of the main things you can do very early on in the game, you'll do this quite a lot, is dig at a site. You've just got to this new island. You want to start digging around and doing a bit of exploring. So dig on a site is where the worker placement aspect comes into this game. You'll send out your little workers, and you'll also be playing some of the cards from your hand to do so. You'll be doing that because the cards have various little icons up in the top corner that have little boots, which represent you walking around the island, or cars, or boats, or planes, any which way you can get around and you'll be doing that to go to these locations and that's normally where you're going to find some resources early on relatively simply and there's lots of different spaces so it's one of those games that yes you will be fighting for different positions however it is kind of also one of those games that's very positively that there's never wasted motion if you go somewhere you're going to get something and you're probably going to use it eventually do you know though leon do i that if I was going to dig mm -hmm. at a site, yeah. that would probably suggest I don't know what I'm going to dig up. And I will point out that particularly those first level sites, it's laid out exactly on the board what I'm going to get when I go there. So what's the point of digging? It's just lying on the top. I mean, what sort of lazy archaeology is that? Well, it's exactly that. It's lazy archaeology. <laughs> but that's what you don't want to see someone digging and then finding nothing. That's the boring bit. I guess, I guess if you... <laughs> You can only go as far as walking there. You're not going to go a long way out. You know, like you, I might walk down to my corner store and see what's just like lying around on the counter. You know, chocolates are about to go out of date or some potato cakes that were cooked a couple of hours ago and, and I might find them. Yeah, I should probably have a dinner before I come out here. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so you can dig at sites. That's one of the basic actions you can do to get you pretty simple resources that you're going to need. The next one is discovering new sites. This is where it starts to get quite exciting. Now, to do this, you're going to need some compass tokens, which represent that you've explored the island and you're finding new stuff. When you go to a new site, first, you're going to take a little idol that's on there and you're going to get a special reward that's from it, which is normally an extra bit of resources, which is lovely. Uh, then there will be a location on that that site which will become another place you can send your worker later on but before you can do that you're going to have to overcome a guardian which is going to get placed there you can't do that yet 
but you can possibly do that on future turns. Now, this is something that I wrote a special note about because this isn't fight a big nasty monster that you've just come into their own habitat and just started slashing away. This is overcoming a guardian. So I find that quite interesting because a lot of these older games, they're just like, you've gone to an island, there's all these monsters, just kill them and go crazy. In this one, it's slightly <laughs> different because... This is their natural habitat, and you're not there to just slaughter everything in front of you. So I think that some of the Guardians they've got, they're quite thematic in the sense that this game doesn't has a little bit of flavor text, but not much. But I think the mechanics show quite a bit of theme. In that, for instance, there is, and one of the Guardians is an ancient owl that you come across. The ancient owl, the way to defeat it, or to overcome it, is to use uh, those tablets that I said. So that kind of represents the fact that you have done some research, you know what this owl is, and the reward it gives you for overcoming it is the power of flight on a future turn. So what that is implying is that you've befriended this owl or some to that kind of, and he's given you this reward. That makes perfect thematic sense that, that, without saying any words. That's actually very clever. Yes. And as opposed to you come across a giant rhino beetle yep. and you're going to punch it in the head a few times or use some of those old arrowheads that you find to stab it. Yeah, and there's nearly every single one of these Guardians is like that. Ah, There are some you need arrowheads because, yes, you're going to fight some of the bigger, nastier mm. things. But then there's things like there's a monkey you come across that's wearing all these golden necklaces. To overcome him, you've got to give him gold. Mm. And he will give you, in reward, some other shiny stuff that he doesn't want because he just wants gold. And little things like that. And okay. this is one of those type yeah. of games that if you look at the little things... I'll get to it a little bit later, that some of the reviews I read, nearly all of them will say the thing that there's nothing new in this game. No, there isn't. However, it does a lot of things, and it does a lot of them well, and it does a lot of little things quite well. well having played this game a couple of times, I've never noticed the correlation between the Guardian I'm fighting no, me and the either. reward I've got. So I'm glad you noticed, uh, you, you mentioned it. Yeah. I can't say that I did. Well, so, well, you should pay more attention to the talking and drinking with your <laughs> friends and whatnot, and play the board game in front of your Garth. Who won the last game, Leon? Shut up. One point. Stupid... No, I'm not going to swear. I'm not going to do a swear after 300 episodes. Anyway, and another thing you can do on your turn is buying a card. So this represents uh, different equipment that you have found. Well, not on the island. This is probably before the island. So this kind of thematically is a bit odd. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go to the local adventuring shop. Yeah. Oi, how much for that old broken down compass or that fancy looking shovel over there? Oh, you could have it for five pieces of gold, sir. So you can buy these uh, different items uh, with gold. You can also buy artifacts, and you can normally buy them with compasses. So that represents that you found them on the island by doing a bit of exploring. The artifacts are a bit stronger, and you mm. get to use them their ability straight away as soon as you get them, whereas the items just go into your uh, deck for when you your next few turns. And let me guess. So thematically, that's... Look, I found a, a genie's lamp. I'll rub it and use its special power. Then I'll throw it in my bag. Later on, when it turns up, I go, oh, I totally forgot I had that. Might as well see if I can rub it again. You are starting to get it, Mark. And <laughs> let's see if I can rub it again is 100% your catchphrase. <laughs> I can't believe you've taken 300 episodes to get it in. Uh, what you can... Oh, that's so probably, to speak. Yes, okay. Uh, you can also play a card on your turn because the cards you have in your hand, they're very cool in that they can do lots of different things. They've got an action on them. Most of them have actions on them that you can just play the card automatically for. Or, like I said, they've got a symbol up in the top corner that you can use it for a bit of movement. They also have victory points as well. You know about that, don't you, Garth? Uh, there could be any types of points, Leon. I don't think it, they mentioned victory points. Uh, Archaeology they points? Have, they have points that will, Research win, points? that will win you the game. It's just at the end Discovery of it, just, it just points? out of nowhere. Now, one of the biggest things that you can doing this game and kind of not your goal but probably the most obvious thing you can do is research now the research track is on the right of the board and uh there's an expansion spoilers that come out for this game that gives you a different kind of research track so that one can be kind of chopped in and out and changed and even in the base game there's another version of that that you can use which has some different stuff and different well, things it's double-sided research tech board technology yes. isn't it so That's research some of this our is favorite technology right. so research this is where you're going to be spending majority of all the stuff that you've collected you can spend it to overcome the guardians and whatnot but you use it on this research track to go up and you're trying to get to basically the center of this island where there's a big old temple where there's probably all the cool stuff and you can find out about the lost civilization that's the most obvious way to get the big good old victory points which of course simpletons like leon are going to jump at every single time it's also this board is the way you're going to be uh, recruiting assistants assistants are people that go on your board and they give you different little special abilities also a shout out again to the, the, the thoughtfulness of this game that um, 
the eclecticness of these assistants. There are people of all different colours, kinds, and creeds in these assistants, and that is cool. Mm. Good on you. Uh, or you can pass. That's an exciting thing you can do on your turn. So on your turn, you do one of these actions. There's also a few other bonus free actions you can do. And then you go all the way around the board until eventually you pass. You can't think of anything else to do. And then everybody else passes. And then the round is over. Yeah, and look, I really like... And again, it's not the first game to do this, but you're basically playing a round until everyone passes in the same go. So mm-hmm. you, you do your one main action, you can do any number of free actions that you can afford to do, and you just keep going and going and going and going until everyone around the table passes. And that's cool if you've been able to get some synergy going on in your, your little bit of deck building, if you've been able to accrue resources and know what you're able to spend them on. And look for... Most people um, around the table, that's a, that's a great thing. However, it has led to a few games where there's, you know, one or two people who are going, oh, I ran out of stuff to do three turns ago <laughs> and you guys are still spending tablets and compasses and anything and, and, and that's just not fun. It can happen, that's for sure. But, you know, maybe they should just get good. Yeah, I agree. It's not the game's <laughs> fault. Yeah, yeah. Come but, on, but like I, game. But like I said, you, you, there's always something for you to do. The generally speaking you will find something for you to do if it's good or not and if you've like i worded it well or not or put your right kind of connection in then then sure but yeah. oh look i i would actually say that anything you are doing is going to be good yeah you are you are never going to have a bad turn what you will have are less than optimal turns mm. so yep. this game more so than most other games i've played in the last six months or so is a challenge to act actually maximize every single go of every single turn of every single round because there's only five rounds in this game is that right five rounds which you know sounds like not many however it's that game where the first round will be over and done with in a couple of minutes yep and then the second one lasts longer and the third longer and then you'll be ending up having the the, the fifth round the last one and it will seemingly never end (laughs) because there's so many things that you do but what this game does quite well is that I don't find you're ever flush with cards. You're never flush with resources. So you're never in a position where you're going, I can do everything and I can do whatever I want. You do need to have a target to go, okay, well, on this particular turn I've got, my goal is to go A, B, C, D, E, so that I can ultimately get this thing, which will give me um, some form of And it's certainly not, say, a Russian Railroads, which is a game I love, but sometimes when you get towards the end of the game or at the end of a round... You're like, well, I'll just stick this one last worker I've got to get one black rail because eh, nothing better to do. That's right. You know, you've got two workers. When we go into the expansion, some people don't even have two workers. Yeah. Um, so you have to be so careful where they go. And I must admit that a couple of times I got towards the end of my turn and thought, oh, no, you know, I, I've gone there. I should have gone there. Now I need to have that one resource extra for the one thing that I need to do with the one thing and the other thing. And sometimes I worry that, that I, like I didn't spend enough time thinking about, okay, got to get that to get that. You know, like thinking through the all the com- combinations and permutations to get the thing that I need to do, the thing that I want. And if I take a misstep, I basically got to wait till I get back to the next round and then that thing could be gone, that area could be taken. So there is, there's the puzzly element, but it can, particularly as it gets towards the end of the game, it can be a bit prone to analysis paralysis, trying to math it all out. And look, particularly for for us, I know we find that in a lot of our games is we won't allow ourselves to take a suboptimal move, and sometimes it does mean the game does drag a bit. But, I mean, at the sense of it, it is a Euro game that looks very pretty, and, and every Euro game is going to have some yep. amount of AP in it yep. at, you know, some way or another. Also, a thing I found about this game is that it's... I, I was never bored at any point. I don't know if it's just the fact that it's all shiny and looks nice, but I never find it boring, as well as the, the hands you... The hand... The cards you have in your hand are the only hidden information in the whole game. Another important thing is that the next page in this perfect rule book, might I add, is the final scoring, and it tells you all the different things. So it just goes through all the different... The cards you've got, the guardians you've overcome, the idols that you've got, where you've gone on the temple, etc., etc. Also, there is no hidden scoring in this game, which which I find for a game that can go a bit long, like the last game we played probably took about three hours, mm-hmm. only because we hadn't played it in a while, and if we'd played another game straight after that, it probably would have taken two, like it said on the box. <laughs> um, but 
as one of those things that, although it is sometimes really cool when you get to the end of the kind of, oh, have I done well, have I not, it is kind of disheartening. Sometimes when that hidden scoring is the thing that really excels someone all the way to the end, and you're kind of like, no, they probably did that three or four turns ago, so we've just kind of been faffing around a little bit since. So I think that's a nice thing. And, Leon, speaking of the end game scoring, you have mentioned points. Myth. You haven't mentioned that other word that Garth always tells me you can't win friends with. Salad? Which is, of course, salad. Yeah. This game definitely feels like a point salad where you can get points in the research track. You can then also get points at the top of the research track by buying stuff. You can get points for going to places. You can get points for the guardians. You can get points for the idols. You know, there's a lot of ways to get points, which is great, but... Sometimes I feel like that means you've got no direction at the start of the game. And when you come into this game and you've got this huge variety of things you can do, Mm -hmm. but what should I do, Leon? Well, that is where the expansion comes into it, which Ah. we're going to talk about in just one second. But I will add to that when it comes to the scoring, because I've got it right here in front of me. Um, It shows you the various different kinds of scoring in this game. And there's only six different ways. One of them is the fear cards, which you can get which are negative points. They kind of happen whether you want to do it. And the other one is a scoring from cards that you've bought. So they just kind of happen anyway. So you're only looking at things like the research track, the guardians you fought. And a lot of these things just kind of happen because you've gone somewhere anyway. So they are not a thing that you're just like, oh, I didn't focus too much on that because some of them you can pick up just because you wanted to do something else. Yeah. Well, Look- how, how about... We draw a line in this particular sand. We'll go to a little break, have a song, and then we'll come back. Mm-hmm. You can tell us about some possible expansion that there might be on, and we can actually tell you yeah. what we think about this game. Okie doke. With the Dice Man Cometh on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. Hi, it's Martin Wallace here. Um, if I did listen to podcasts and I would listen to the Diceman Cometh all of the time. You're with Edge Radio 99.3 FM. This is the Diceman Cometh and that was London Grammar with Metal and Dust. A lot of those sort of things lying around on archaeology archaeology sites, Leon. Yes. Sure there are. Anyway, before we were so rudely interrupted by the songs that we have to play on our loving radio station, uh, I was going through a rule book and everyone was very excited about that. We were. So the last couple of pages, uh, there is a thing here about the Snake Temple side, because that is the other side of the main board, Garth. What? Double-sided board technology. We haven't used this version of the game, so if you're interested in that, have a look into that. It's just basically a more advanced way of playing it after you've played the first one a couple of times. Then there's two pages on how the solo variant works. Again, if that's your cup of tea, good on you. Have a look at that. Then the final two pages of the rule book, there's an appendix telling you all the cards and various different bits of information about them. There's a little section that says, don't forget, little important things that people might forget throughout the game. Always appreciated when they do that in books, because we've often got through a many-hour game and gone, oh, we didn't do this every turn. That Correct. was a bit silly. A few frequently asked questions, and then right at the back, it gives you um, some keywords and whatnot, so you can just have the book sitting on the table. So, before I move on and talk about the expansion, mm-hmm. I said this is the perfect rule book. Thoughts? Look, it does a great job. <sighs> yeah. But the reality is, Leon, yep. you taught us the game. I, so, I so the only time I've had to read the rule book is to clarify something. Um, so I would say that you taught the game really, really well, and the rule book was a good companion. What I will say, though, mm. is that this seems to draw a lot of uh, technique from... I think Stonemaier does some really good mm-hmm. rule books where yep. you know they set them out quite well, um, but also uh, Lacerda games. Yeah, you know, uh, it's quite easy to do a rule book for an easy, simple game. Yep, it's not easy to do an engaging, educational, informative rule book when you're playing and learning a four-hour game with multitudes of, of options available to you and no clear direction on how to do that. And I think, I think you know. Uh, Vital Lacerda with the, the art and graphic design by Eno Tool mm-hmm. does a really good way, uh, really good series of rule books, and that includes having little player rule books that you each get your own little yeah. player aid that tells you what to do. And I think Stonemaier does a really good job too. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I, I give it big ups um, because, as you said, we know 
as experienced gamers, how many times have you pulled a new game off the shelf, been excited about it, grabbed the rule book, and then gone, uh, look, I'm not really up for that today. Let's play something, or let's get ready to play something that we know. Or, oh, let's go and watch a Rodney video. Uh, make sure everyone watches it. Of course, not everyone always does. <laughs> but, um, you know, let's do that to prepare ourselves for the game. It's We're lucky, I guess, in that we don't often have to rely on just one person doing all the heavy lifting. At least this book makes it easy for people to do that because we know that rules can be a barrier. I was about to say that. Rules are, in my opinion, the single biggest barrier between these kinds of games yep. hitting the mainstream. Yeah, yeah. Because... You look at the box art on this, yep, and that would be at home in any supermarket yep. that sells games, you know, next to your, your typical monopolies and scrabbles and what have you. But if a family picks this up, unless one of the family members are a gamer mm. in inverted commas, it, they're not going to understand it. No, they're just going to go, nah, let's go and play Twister because that, you know legitimately so, is a really big mountain yes. to, to climb for, for you know mainstream non-gaming public. Yeah. And I think that's still a massive challenge that this hobby hasn't figured out mm -hmm. yet. But this rule book has lots of pictures and they're very pretty. And it shows it's not just artwork, it actually shows all the different components of the games at various places, but it is very good. Well, look, and I guess the more that we and others like us can spread the word that, you know what? You don't need to sit there and study the rulebook because there are these videos by amazing people. Obviously, Rodney's one, Paul Grogan's another one, that they are just getting better and better and better at teaching us through videos. So thank goodness for them. But I tried Leon. Mm -hmm. I googled hate rules of Arna uh, hate Arnak rulebook on Google, and I couldn't find any. No, there's a I was I was thought sure I was going to find someone. There's a reason for that because Leon is correct. Anyway, <laughs> so the reason we played this game again recently was a because well I like it. Spoiler, as I always do every time. Um, but there is an expansion that just came out very recently, which is called the Expedition Leaders. Now, in this expansion, what do you get? I'm about to tell you, and. It's a Leon special that most of this expansion is more, 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 baby, because the base game was good, so just give me more. you got more items, artifacts, sites to visit, assistants to hire, guardians to overcome. They're the big, that's the main chunk of the expansion. Excellent. They all fit in there. No new real key terms on them, just different ways of going about stuff. So it gives you more. But the main two things that it does, or it's probably three things, but one of the main things that it gives you another research track to put on the side of the board. So again, giving you variety each time you play it, having a different research track there on the side. And it's more double-sided technology. Yes. So you've got your double-sided main board, and then you've now you've got a double-sided research board. So you've effectively got... Four research tracks? Yes, and there's a lovely little moon staff, which there was one in the base game. That's just a little marker at the top, which you which goes between each round, showing you what round of the game you're on, as well as during the setup for the next phase, you would get rid of the card on the left or right of it. Now there's a, a variant where you can play where you get rid of two cards on the left and two cards on the right. So you just, go, so you just go through more cards in the game. But the main thing that this game adds, this expansion adds, is the expedition leaders themselves. And in this game, there are six of them. And what they do is that they will give somebody, as Mark said, when you start playing this game, a little bit of direction. Mm. Because each of these players is somebody completely different. And what they will do is they will give everybody that when they start the game, because in the base game, everyone starts with the same deck of cards, which most deck builders are like that. With this game, once you get a specific character, which by the way, is the captain, or the falconer, or the baroness, or the professor, or the explorer, or the mystic, you will get your own individual starting deck of cards, so you will be different than everybody else on the field straight off the bat. I do have a question. Mace. Why does the falconer get an eagle yep. and not a falcon falcon? I don't know why she gets a falcon falcon, but she gets a falcon <laughs> for some reason or another. Any no, she doesn't way. get a falcon. She gets an eagle. So why isn't she... Is it, she should be called an eagle ear. Yes. Or an eagler. I, I, Eagling. I don't, something. I don't know. I will write an email and let you know, Mark. You should send it by carrier picture. I want a falcon yes. answer. So not just on top of everyone has their own deck. Also, these characters, you wouldn't believe it, have their own special abilities. Mm. So the captain, for instance, and the, the rule book for this expansion, also really good, guys. <laughs> 
did I mention it? Uh, it also comes with little individual rule books, which Garth times. mentioned a second ago, for each of these individual plays that you can look at. The captain gives you another archaeologist to add because the captain has lots of staff underneath him. The falconeer lady, who has a eagle, um, she has this little falcon token that she can move up on her board, which gives a her... eagle token? Yes, which gives her various different uh, rewards depending on where the sparrow is on there. Uh, the, the baroness loves a bit of shopping, so every turn when she buys cards, they don't go to the bottom of the old deck. No, 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 no. They go straight into your hand, which yeah. is really cool. Uh, the professor we didn't play with, I'm sure he's cool. The, the explorer, who Garth played with, the explorer is kind of a one-man army, or yeah. one-lady army, I should say, because she goes out and has heaps of food in her backpack, so she does lots of exploring on herself. She's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and then the one that was the most complicated is the mystic, who basically gets rid of those horrible fear tokens and cards in your deck and does some cool stuff with it. Again, didn't play with him, so we can't really say. We haven't mentioned Mark before. You normally like to mention with the deck building aspect of a game that it's not that difficult to get rid of cards out of your deck in this. There's a bit there, there is a bit of thinning. There is a bit of deck thinning, I must admit. I do like that. And yep. I have to say, if there's one thing I love, and there is many, but if there's one thing that I love, it's asynchronous player powers. Yep. Firstly, to change it up so you're not all doing the same thing. But as you said also I've got a specialty right from the start that I'm good at, so I probably should start doing that because that's going to give me an advantage over the other players. So I do like that, that's for sure. The only thing about these expedition leaders in terms of that direction is I, I, I'm unsure of how directional they are mm -hmm. because I don't think any of the leaders there, and please correct me if I'm wrong, guide you towards going heavy on the research track and foregoing a bit of those other resources. Well, maybe though... That was because we didn't play the professor, and you'd expect a professor should be an expert in research. True. Whereas, I want to hear a bit more about the lady that spends a lot of time exploring herself, Leon. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a different topic for another day. So, what I want to quickly wrap up on this expansion is, much like I've said before, with um, your King of Tokyo power-up, your Terraforming Mars prelude, mm -hmm. this expansion does exactly what you want. It adds more, and then it adds a cool little aspect on top of it. It's a pretty much must-have for this expansion. If they ever do a second edition of this game, this expansion should be in the base box. Endo story, it's pretty much oh, for me. For me, only having played the leaders once, yep. I don't think I would just play the base box. I know, game. mine's all mixed in together. It'll never be separated. Yep. So... Before we finish off, we need to say about what we actually think at this Hang game. on. Hang on. What? Hang on. What? So. Yep. You've got this fantastic uh, expansion. Yep. It's got a little bit of everything more for everyone. Mm-hmm. I have a question, Leon. Yes. Why, why didn't they add, you know, you, you've, got, you've got your base sites that are on the board. It yep. tells you what you get. You get not much, but it's easy to go there. Mm -hmm. You've got your level one sites, and you've got a stack of them, and they're upside down, and you don't know what's there. Yep. Okay? And then you've got your level two sites. You've got a stack of them two upside down, and you don't know what's there. And you know the unique. You get better stuff on the level two sites. But you know from the board, instead of, I was going to say mushrooms. Um, what are the other round things? Compasses, Compass. that's right. I've had too many mushrooms. So simple. So, you know, you've, you've got to spend so many mushroom compasses to go to the first level three and then you've got to spend pretty much double that amount to go to the second some level. some would say six yes so it's got a lot harder right yeah when you go to a level one site you flip over a guardian and it goes on there and you're gonna to have to fight that guardian yeah when you go to a level two site yeah you also flip over a guardian yeah now you could get on a level one site you could get the snap dragon i don't know what he is like a flying monstery thing that's bit tough. Do you reckon he's leading up to a point, Gar? I don't know. Well, no. you could flip over the friendly ancient owl or the rhino beetle or whatever. That's not as tough. Mm -hmm. It's totally random. Yeah. Why didn't they include a level two guardians, a set of level two guardians, so that not only does it cost you more to go there, not only do you get heaps of extra staff, they're really good value, but why didn't they make it a bit tougher? Uh, why? I think adding a few extra guardians as a variant, possibly, to go to that would be possible. Um, I don't think it's really necessary, to be perfectly honest. I wouldn't mind, yeah, if you said if a handful of them were added as a variant, mm. but I, I think it's fine. It didn't bother me in the slightest. Oh, you've, look, you've already paid extra to go there, and it's random because you don't know what's there. So it makes sense to me. Well, I, I sort of think similarly, Mark. Uh, I think, you know, 
yes, you've got to pay double the amount of compasses. And, and as I said before, nothing is easy to get. You've yeah. always got to spend actions to do things, and sometimes actions are very limited. For me, the more important factor about the, the Guardians is that there's there's so little negative consequence when you don't successfully yeah. fight one. Big yeah, one. all okay. you get is if you have a worker there at the end of your turn, you get a fear card which goes into your deck, which is kind of just like a card that does next to nothing. You still get a bit of movement with it, but not much else. And they are negative victory points at the end of it. So the consequences aren't much, but in a game where there is no negative interactions between players, as in like, I can't do anything horrible to you, Garth, or vice versa, I don't think that's necessarily that bad, because if they did have really negative consequences, it kind of might throw the enjoyment of the game off. Yeah. I, 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 look, I, I just I, I just found, in our most recent game, yep. not once in the game did any player not succeed in defeating the Guardian. Yeah. Not never at the end of a turn or a round was there a an explorer still there trying to de to defeat tame whatever a guardian, and that to me says either wow the four of us around the table are uber gamers and I know that's not true, but I think that that means that the guardians are are just there to chew up a bit of resources, take an action, but they're they're in. They're kind of an inevitability. You, you are going to succeed. It's just whether it's going to take you one action to do it or it might take you a second action to get an extra spearhead to be able to defeat it. And I think that's that's not the challenge I'm after. See, I think it actually adds to the enjoyment feel of the game that they're relatively simplish to beat because, like I said, every one of my turns, I felt like I'd done something relatively good. Sometimes I'd missed out on certain things because, you know, worker placement aspect or didn't have the right card in my deck, but I always felt like something relatively positive was happening. More negative things added to this game, I think, would take away the enjoyment of it because I think that's one of the main things about this game is that compared to, say, Dune Imperium, which we had last week, which was fine, but pardon the pun because it's set on a desert, is a little bit drier, this <laughs> This game is fun for a worker placement game that is essentially a Euro game that looks really pretty. It's fun. But Leon, yeah, as the late great, maybe not so great, Meatloaf said, <laughs> "Stop right there." Yeah, I got to know right now. Yeah, why didn't you ever go exploring and fight some stuff? And why did you just do all research? Because this is a number one thing that annoys me about this game, and I know it's a point salad game, which means. You can have a bit of lettuce, you can have a bit of carrot, you can have a bit of cucumber, you can have a bit of everything, or you can just go full-on lettuce and all dressing. And I know the two times the Leon we've played, yeah. you've gone full-on dressing when the research is the dressing. Yeah. I think in the second game, you, you fought one Guardian, you went to one yep. level one site, yeah. and all we did in the other times was go to the... The tents where the stuff we talked about is just lying on the ground and you just pick it up. Yeah. It's a valid strategy, but if I'm exploring the lost ruins of Arnak, then it's not picking up stuff off the ground just outside of my tent and then spending four hours reading a book. That is not the same game. Well, you could argue it either which way, I suppose. But my answer is that I did the best on my turn that I thought would work. Same as Garth, who won the game, felt that the best things to do on his turn was to go a bit more fighty and not so much on the research. And we both, like I said, the fact that we were one point separated, both the strategies kind of worked. Yeah, and they did. And and look, I find it shocking, Mark, considering in every role-playing game you ever play, you want to have library use yes. and you want to starty, 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 <laughs> those Cthulhu books. But yeah. uh, look, for me, the research track... Personally, yeah. is the thing I do in the last round where I haven't got any more locations to explore. I've gone up the research track a bit to get a, a, an assistant or two, just because that's going to be useful resource gathering. But I find that it's really just a resource dump. You're, you, you're spending resources that you've been able to find by killing monsters, taming monsters. You're spending them to go up the research track. It is worth a shirtload of points, though. Well, and it also uh, it is the way you get those assistants mm. that are really handy. And again, you know, we said this game is about the combos. Mm. The the assistants are one way you can get extra combos, like you can with those little idols where you can flip them over, like you can with the guardians when you can flip them over and do extra stuff. This this game, don't get me wrong, this game gives you a lot to do. I love the comboing aspect. I wish it was more deck buildy. I wish it was more worker place me worker placey. To me, and and I did see a bit of discussion about this when I was you know trying to find some negative reviews because there's not a lot of them. Let's face it. <laughs> um, but 
at it heart, at its heart, it's a resource management game because it's all about what assortment of re- of resources do I need for that spot on the research track, or to fight that thing, or to go to that place. And you know, can I turn that into that, or turn that back into that? It's it's that resource management is is the key. And I wish it had more deck building and more worker placement. Well, let's go into final thoughts then. Yes. If you haven't already given us them, Mark. So, Leon. Yes. Did you like it or not? Uh, I really, really enjoyed this game and uh, hence why I'm going to keep it. We didn't do any sort of like countdown top 10 thing last year because we didn't have a show last year. (laughs) And also the expansion only just came out this year, at least a little old Australia. But this would have featured on mine quite highly, I would have recommend. But what I do want to say is when I was reading some of the reviews myself on BGG earlier today, I did read one that said that somebody, when they first looked at the game, just at a glance, they thought it was overproduced. I don't agree with that. I think it looks amazing. Some could argue that it's overproduced, sure. They said at the time it was overpriced, which at the time it was hard to find. It was a bit pricey. The price, I think, is actually spot on, which in Australia is rare. Uh, the main thing he said, though, was that it as it does absolutely nothing new, which I will grant you, it doesn't. The person then went to say on, to my surprise, four days later, I'd played this game 12 times. Yeah. So that's what I feel. And also, if you look at some of the big heavy hitters in this hobby over the last few years, especially uh, Wingspan and Terraforming Mars, two of the biggest sellers and two of the biggest games, both of those games, with the exception of, say, Wingspan's theme, both of those games do absolutely nothing new. But what do they do? They do everything that they're supposed to do well. And I think the same can be said for the hottest of hotness at the moment, Ark Nova. You know, again, it's yeah. it's just being said that none of these mechanics yeah. are revolutionary. Yep. It draws a whole bunch of inspiration. It just puts them together really nicely. And I think that's great because we need familiarity because it makes learning a game when yep. you're learning multiple games a year yep. so much easier. And I just forgot to mention um, in that little comparison that I just made, um, the the West Kingdom trilogy by um, by Garfield Games and their Raiders of the, Law, um, the North Sea as well, all those, they're just worker placement games. And again, they don't do necessarily anything new, but they're all really good. Uh, and they change things slightly in yeah. each game. And they, it just works. So there's absolutely nothing wrong. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's awesome when you do, but sometimes you just just give people good. Look, oh, I the think I'll play some meeple, take a meeple thing for. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say. I think... Okay, sorry. I didn't. But you know what I mean, though. Yeah, yes. I especially mean... the West Kingdom through like, all yeah, three right. of them. That yeah. that's to me where, you know, like if you want to talk about underranked games, those ones take a staple of the hobby, if you like, as worker placement, and they. They either crank it up to 11 or they just give it a really, really interesting wrinkle. Whereas this, you know, is an old map that's then been ironed within an inch of its life and it's perfectly glossy and it's perfectly flat. There's no wrinkle there to me. And look, you, you know that game where you play it for the first time and you go, wow, if it wasn't 1am, I'd set it up again and I'd go again. Yep. And I've had that experience with games. I almost had that feeling with June Imperium. I must admit, I went, ooh, I liked that. I could play that again right now. I didn't get that experience with Anarchers. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that leads me to my next point, because, of course, we're going to run out of time. That's what we always do. But last week, Leon, when you weren't here, we talked about a little game called June Imperium. And we talked about the fact that it was the 16th ranked best game of all time. Yeah. And, of course, a lot of people, as we said, are comparing this game to that game. What's the ranking on this game, Garth? So, look, this is overall the 31st best game ever. And this game came out in 2021. Now, the issue is this is also the number one ranked strategy game. And this game came out in 2021. Mm. And it is the number two family game of all time. What? Yeah, that whole and category game, needs a rejig, and that makes no sense. Look, I think we, we actually really need to dive into this a bit more because these rankings are confusing to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, The fact that this is the number two ranked family game... Mm-hmm. Like, it says it's 12+, plus, but I, I, I challenge you an adult and three 12 year olds to sit around and play this game and have enjoyment 
well, put it this way: if it's twelve plus, it's not a family game. There's no M-rated f- top family movie. I mean, some of them probably <laughs> half of the ones of the '80s probably should be, and like Home Alone should have been R-rated. The violence and that was horrendous. But but that's beside the point. But um, yeah, some of those ratings are bigger. But people are rating it positively because a lot of people like it. Well, look, it's worth playing. Maybe that's a discussion for another day. Now, Certainly Garth, is. we've got about five minutes left to go. We do, and we were going to talk about the hottest of viral hotness in games on the interwebs. Exactly. Are we still going to? Yeah, yeah, we got we got five three minutes. minutes. Three minutes. Well look, Wordle has surprisingly only been around since October two thousand and twenty one and here we are on the seventeenth of February. 2022. We're so with the times. Oh, so the, with the it. New York Times. So look, it was created by a guy in Boston because he and his girlfriend love doing word puzzles. He created it and it basically, on the 1st of November, had 90 active users when he released it. It then went up to hundreds of thousands to now millions. And Twitter basically said it was the first viral trend of 2022 because the sheer volume of people sharing their Wordle scores Mm. justified it. Yeah, Yeah, my Facebook feed every morning is just all these yellow and green squares. Everyone's (laughs) like, what are people doing? Some of us have to go to work. You are not alone. So what is it? Look, it's basically you get six attempts to guess a five-letter word. You put in your letters, and if their letters are black, it means, no, those letters aren't in the word. If the letters are yellow, it means you've got the right letters, they're in the wrong spot. And if the letter is green, it means you've got the right letter in the right spot. You're making six attempts to to get this word right. The way it's considered is if you get it in four guesses, Mark, you're a golfer. Four guesses is considered par. Yeah. Three guesses is considered birdie. So you want to do it in the fewest number of guesses to be able to maximise your score and be better than your friends. Look, this is absolutely a sensation and I do play it. One of the reasons that it is a sensation is because it's scarce. You get one go Mm -hmm. per day. It's not just keeping on going and feeding that addiction. It is you get one shot. You want to be smarter than your friends or you want to at least not be the failure and not get it right after six guesses. And they haven't yet brought in that microtransaction that says you can have your one free one but if you pay one gold coin you can have another one how dare they want to make money on yeah. something they've made well it, look it has recently been sold in january to the new york times for an undisclosed <laughs> low seven figure amount i will quite happily take any mm-hmm. low seven figure amount yeah. um, but the thing that i find it interesting is it's just it's a nice little escapism it's a bit of game brain training thing every single day and just the spread and variability of it now. There are now in excess of 350 Wordle variants, yeah. some of which are Loodle <laughs> or Swerdle to yeah. do swear words. Nah. There is the, the one that is upcoming that I've been playing for a couple of weeks, Worldle, which is a geography-based one. You basically get the, the black and white colour of the, the shape of the country, and you've got to try and guess that one. Wow. Italy. It's a boot. Well. <laughs> Nailed it. There you go. Uh, there is Heardle which is one that is done for hearing impaired um, uh, participants, I guess, yeah. which is fantastic. There is word or, word or wazzle, which is Australian words. <laughs> there is a Lord of the Rings wordle. Mm-hmm. So if you really want to indulge in your word, Lord of the Ringsness, there is Holly wordle about <laughs> Hollywood movies. Uh, there's Star Wordle for Star Wars. And there are numerous other options in a whole plethora of language. Over 90 languages are supported now. So that's the thing that Wordle is. Um, and it's just been bought by the New York Times, but it is still free. The other exciting thing is there's a board game version. It's called um, Guess the Board Game by Let's Play Board Games. And it draws information directly from BGG. Mm. You'll then get more points for the fewer numbers of clues you need. So whether it is the designer, the mechanic, the first letter, the player count, the categories, all of those kinds of things, it draws directly from BGG database. So it's very, very good for us nerds. The main thing is have to get your board game name exactly right. It is not Isle of Cats. It is the Isle of Cats. (laughs) It's not Quest for El Dorado. It is the The Quest Quest for El Dorado. So don't skimp on those useless thes. And look, for, for, a, for a game about games, you think they'd get the rules playable. But anyway, I'm enjoying both of those. I'm enjoying being in the studio with both of you. But unfortunately, we've run out of time. Now, for those people listening on the podcast, stay tuned. Don't turn off because after we finish here, I've got a little interview with Charles from LFG Australia to tell us what's happening or not happening 
with LFG Sydney. But there's also some good news if you stick right to the end. So apart from that, I've been Mark, you've been Garth, you've been Leon. We are the Dicemen Cometh. We come to you every second Thursday here on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. And we'll be back to Thursday time for more. In the meantime, play lots of games and we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Toodle. Love you, Christopher. Hello, everyone. My name is Rene Soria. And I listen to the Dice Men every time they don't uh, delete the episode. Thank you. So here I am now, just catching up with my old friend and, of course, the uh, proprietor of Looking for Games, or LFG, it's Charles Bishop. Hello, Charles. How are you going? Good, Mark. Yourself? Oh, look, I'm really well. Better now that I've spoken to you. I haven't seen you for ages. No, it's um, it's been a bit of a strange couple of years, hasn't it, really? It sure has. Nice to hear you back on the radio as well. Well, thank you very much. As always, of course, we uh, we absolutely appreciate your support. But that's not the reason we're here to talk today. So, firstly, let me ask you, how are things going in Canberra and how are things going in the retail space? Uh, retail's probably a bit tough at the moment by the looks of it. For, for some reason or another, everything seems to be slowing down a bit, but still okay. You know, it's good. The store is well. Uh, we're getting some good new games through. But some new staff members come through. We've managed to move an older staff member onto a professional job, which she's loving. Nice. Yeah, I think uh, all is going well in the retail space uh, for what we're looking for out of it. Okay. And uh, there's a lot of talk at the moment about supply chain logistics, how the whole world has ground to a halt. How have you found getting stock, getting it here, getting it moving? Yeah, not too bad generally. I took note of that and sort of pre-purchased a bunch of stuff, being lucky enough to have a storage area in the upstairs of the store. So we managed to ride out Christmas fairly well without running down our stock too much. But there is definitely delays in things coming through. Uh, so you know, we just ask that people have patience with that. Because the delays are local as well. There was not just the global supply chain, but with the the rise of COVID and the rise of internet shopping, the two or three major distribution companies, Australia Post, Toll, TNT, really struggled over Christmas and even into the new year to get things just locally within the timeframes we used to get them. But generally going all right. We got through Christmas okay and uh, Santa bought presents to everybody. <laughs> so, yes, all well, I think. That's really good to hear, Charles. Okay. Now, the main reason we're here, uh, we believe you've got some news for us. Yes, sad news. You know me a little. I can be quite an emotive guy. Um, I spent this afternoon actually crying, believe it or not. Oh, no. Because I've made the decision and we're going to release it Thursday afternoon that we will be not running LFG Sydney again, that it will be closed down as an event. So, obviously, a lot of things have led to the you getting to that decision, I guess, COVID is a massive factor, is it? Look, COVID's a little bit of a factor, but it's been seven events, if you include the first three Toy and Game Expos and then the four LFG Sydneys. They were all predominantly family-run. We had family and friends. I don't have the energy to restart it. I feel like we've lost momentum. I feel like if I commit to running it this year, I have to commit to running it for at least three years. And I'm now 52, nearly. And at 52, I am just finding... I run a consulting business, I coach basketball, I have the store, I run LFG, uh, Essendon Unplugged, go to BorderCon. I didn't have the energy to start it again. It's unfortunately that simple. It was always rarely profitable. Maybe I could have put some money into somebody to run it, but I always got my love out of being part of the key group of people running it. And so if I wasn't doing that, I wasn't being true to myself. And I I can't see myself with the energy for three years to try and get it back up to where it was because I think it'll take at least that long. I totally understand. I uh, just turned the big double five a couple of days ago, and I must admit, I'm feeling a bit weary myself these days. So I totally understand from that perspective. I know it has been a labour of love for you, and I and I, I imagine not many people would know that, you know, as you said, you're probably pretty much out of pocket for it, particularly in the early days. I guess some good news in that uh, LFG and Unplugged in Canberra. You're still planning for that to go ahead this year? Yeah, so it's on the calendar and it's locked in. Booked the room last week. It's simpler. It's near home. The setup is simpler. 
yeah, I, I know I can make that commitment at the store. I can make the commitment to the time and effort to run the store. The the expo, in all honesty, I don't think ever was profitable. I think maybe on a very good year, we might have made a 1000 or $2,000 on a $30,000 investment. And, and look, I know that's on me because I know I could have run it in cheaper venues, but I loved the Bankstown Sports Club and I loved the quality of the rooms and I loved being able to give decent hotel rooms to the staff and being able to do all those things that made it, in my mind, a quality event. Uh, maybe I'm blowing my own trumpet there, but you know that, that was the way I wanted to run it. And I can't imagine running it any other way. I've had people say to me, well, we could scale it back to a school or a basketball stadium or something like that. And it's certainly true you could, but that's not what I wanted to run. That's probably a bit of a personal thing about how I like to do things and probably makes me a suboptimal businessman would be my guess. I don't think so. I think, I mean, I can certainly attest to the uh, the couple of times that I went that, as you said, it was definitely a high quality event. And I think, you know, the challenge is always in a place as large as Sydney is to get people to travel from their local gaming groups and their local gaming stores. It's got to be something worthwhile for them to do that because they've got so many other options unlike maybe, you know, smaller places. I mean, this was part of the problem also is that I and my family live in Canberra and the two people who helped organise a lot of it, Chris and Nissa, lived in Melbourne. So Not ideal. It didn't really make a lot of sense as to why Canberra and Melbourne people are running a Sydney event. Um, but it has often been commented to me that Sydney is a more fractured market and people don't travel the way they do in Melbourne. I don't know the truth in that, but certainly we seem to struggle to get numbers at times, even though the Bankstown Sports Club was on sort of major M5 just off there. Uh, there were people who commented that oh, I was a bit far to travel. Like you said, maybe they're moving away from their local area. But that's all right. I mean, we, we always had enough people to have a really good weekend. So that was never an issue. Probably starting off again, we would have been starting from scratch a bit. I mean, I guess all we can hope that, that someone steps up and fills the space. Now, obviously, the other event that you're involved with is BorderCon. Now, do you have any inside running on uh, what's happening there this year? Yes. Yeah, so I know I actually was chatting to Neil earlier this week. I know it's definitely going to happen. He's just been caught up in some school stuff that has delayed him getting ready for it this year. No issues with it happening, just... Like a lot of us organisers, it's a side thing. And once we get started on it, it's okay. But the first launch every year when you're getting ready for the first activity is like, I'll just leave that for another week. Because I know once I open the inbox and start, it's on. Absolutely. So that might even be a bit of a scoop because I know I've you know been part of the Facebook chat and certainly everyone has been keen to, to hear something from Neil. So hopefully we'll hear something officially soon. But uh that's great news, and look, we're absolutely looking forward to being there, catching up with you, catching up with all the friends that we've met at BorderCon over the years, and of course, catching up with new people. That's very exciting news, Charles. Events can take over your life. There's a lot of people who provide commentary on how events should be run. There's very few of us who actually run them. Mm -hmm. Most that run them run it for non-profit-based reasons. Um, you're in a sector that's a, essentially a community-orientated sector. Something like BorderCon can actually be stood up very quickly. And I know a lot of people want to know early so they can sort their rooms out, etc. But yes, I think I think within a couple of weeks, the wheels will be turning and BorderCon will reappear. That's fantastic news, Charles. Uh, of course, I will say on behalf of uh, of the people who do attend LFG, obviously it'll be sadly missed. But the, the reasons you've given us tonight are totally reasonable. We know you put your heart and soul into these things. We've observed it, or I've observed it, up close. You're still going to be around. You're still going to have uh, Bordekine. You're still going to have LFGS and Unplugged. We here at the Dice Men very excited to come to both of those. Anything else you'd like to leave us with? I'm looking forward to a year of, I guess I'm being a little bit selfish in some respects because the way I set up S and Unplugged and... What I do at BorderCon allows me to play games for most of the weekend. So I uh, I get to have my cake and eat it as well with a fairly simple setup. And I think that's what you'll see more from me going forward is happy to help out with events where we can do simple setup and where we can just help make the event uh, more successful. Uh, so any event organisers out there that want to get in contact that we can assist, by all means, give us a yell, drop us an email to the website and uh, we're more than happy to try and help out where we can. 
That's awesome uh, news, Charles. And hopefully we can be uh, perhaps be a conduit for that. I'll let you go. It sounds like you've got to go and feed the dog. Uh, dog's all right. I'm watching Ye- Yellowstone on stand at the moment, so I think I need to get a cowboy hat. <laughs> okay. Well, look, lovely to talk to you, Charles. Thanks again for everything you do. And we'll be excited to hear more about BorderCon soon. Really appreciate your time. Look, and I'm really looking forward to, I think, I think all of us are. I think part of the sadness about LFG Sydney was just that we know what we've lost for the last couple of years. And that was actually motivated to think about trying to do it, but it just wasn't enough at the end. Other things will spring up. When you leave a space for something, it leaves an opportunity for other things to spring up. So I would say, if there's one of your listeners out there that thinks, I'm really, really disappointed that LFG Sydney's not going ahead, and I'd love to know how they did it and what they did. And I might think about taking it over. Give us a yell. And I am more than happy to help guide, mentor, whatever, a transition to someone else if there's somebody that would, would like to take it over. Even if just to give them lessons learned on what we've learned works and doesn't work. That's very generous of you, Charles. The listeners will obviously hear that, hear that invitation for themselves. But we'll certainly uh, encourage them to get in touch with you or with us and we'll put them on to you yeah no that's very kind of you to do that and hopefully fingers crossed we'll get someone to take up the uh the baton it's certainly easier to run smaller variants of what we did and i think people shouldn't be afraid of having a go at that the offer's there and i think you guys are a great conduit so they drop a facebook message to you or a contact to you then uh we can see what the art of the possible is as they say all right, Charles, we'll let you get back to uh, Yellowstone. Yeehaw. And thanks so much for your time tonight. Keep well and hopefully we'll catch up at BorderCon. You've been listening to another episode of The Dice Men Cometh, proudly brought to you by LFG Australia. Be sure to check out lfg-oz.com.au for all the details of their online and physical retail store. You can find us at dicemencometh.com or on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. And don't forget, you can support us on Patreon too. Thanks for listening.